Welcome to Counsel the Word, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about the importance of repentance in biblical counseling. We are grateful uh, to be with our good friend. Pastor Terry Yens, the senior pastor of Grace Bible Church in Granbury, Texas, and my good friend and co-laborer, Terry, welcome back to the podcast studio. Hey, Keith, thanks. It's always great to be with you. Uh, We have more fun, I think, before and after these sessions, and it's always such a delight to visit with you, and um, so thankful for the partnership we've had for almost 20 years now. Amen. Yes, it's always good to get together. And yeah, we do have fun before and after the podcast. And one of these days we need to do like a T4G, just unscripted. <laughs> That's right. Style. But anyway, no, so we're, we're talking today about repentance, the importance of repentance in biblical counseling. And, um, you know, we talk about repentance a lot in our training. And yet uh, folks that are new to biblical counseling may not be familiar with the word repentance, or maybe they have a an idea in their head that may not reflect biblical truth. So maybe we can start our conversation just by trying to define repentance. Uh, How would you define repentance? Yeah, when we think about repentance, we're thinking uh, about a brokenness for sin, a recognition of our sin, um, an acknowledgement of our sin that we might call confession, um, and then a turning away from that sin. So there is some mark of transformation that, that is aligned with that uh, with that transformation or that acknowledgement. Um, so John the Baptist talks to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter three and says, you know, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he simply means by that you're you're saying you're different. There ought to be some mark of that. There ought to be some some characteristic that's changed. So when we think about repentance, we're thinking about I've acknowledged my sin. Yes, I've, yes, there's sin, um, but it's more than just acknowledgement. It's a moving towards. Um, a transformation, a change of life, 180 degree turn, we would say. Spiritual U-turn. Spiritual U-turn. Thank you. Yeah, no, you're you're always so good about shortening <laughs> the length of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So yes, it, that's a good definition. I like that definition. You know, sorrow, confession, turning, and fruit. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and those would all reflect biblical passages, which we're going to get in here in a moment. But that's a good starting point. And yeah. The other thing we have to think about is repentance is both a one-time act at mm. conversion, but it's also an ongoing process in sanctification or the Christian life. And, of course, in counseling, we may be looking at both of those potentially. If you have somebody that's not a Christian and we're trying to help them to repent and trust Christ for the first time, more often we're probably talking about repentance as an ongoing part of just the normal Christian growth process. So um, let's just break that down a little bit. So repentance in conversion, what are we thinking about there? Yeah, um, I I think maybe uh, I might think about a passage like um, Matthew um, chapter 5 with uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. and, And in those initial verses in the Sermon on the Mount, um, you're seeing what uh, what repentance looks like. He doesn't use the term there, but you're seeing um, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's obviously not talking about uh, physical poverty there. He's talking about spiritual poverty. They're recognized. They're spiritually destitute, incapable of bringing anything to God. Um, so there's that in the initial step of repentance says, I, I have nothing. 
then it moves verse 4, Matthew 5, blessed are those who mourn. So they realize they're nothing. Now they're grieving over their sin. They're brokenhearted over their sin. Uh, verse 5, blessed are the gentle or the meek or the humble. Um, so they, they, they lay aside any kind of pretense as to who they are or what they might bring to God to uh, assert a, a self-righteousness to him. And then verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want a righteousness that doesn't belong to them, so they come to God for that. And I think that's, that's a, a good picture of what repentance looks like in the act of conversion. I'm, I'm empty, I'm broken, I'm grieved over my sin, I want something else, I'm putting aside all pretense, and I'm going to God for a righteousness that I can't conjure up on my own. No, that's good. And then you, know, you back up a few verses to chapter 4, and when he starts his public ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And yeah. then what you're describing in chapter 5 is really, what does that mean? Right? Mm-hmm. So that's a really good description. Yeah. You know, I would think, too, there's an example of it in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 9, as Paul writes mm-hmm. to the Thessalonians right. about the reception um, that uh, that they were Received, but Paul received a report, right? He said, um, he said, uh, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. So the gospel comes to Thessalonica, and the Thessalonians repent, again, not using the word there, but yeah. by description, they turn away from their idols to God for help in believing Jesus in the gospel. So, yeah. so those are examples of that would be more like an example of conversion mm-hmm. repentance. And then, mm-hmm. and I think the same definition that you gave a moment ago, and, and to some degree the same process that happens at conversion happens in sanctification, where the same conviction, sorrow, turning away from sin, looking for fruit, confession, yeah. happens as Christians identify known sin in their life and they turn away from their sin back to God for help in confession seeking the grace of Jesus that they already possess in their union with him, but seeking to apply that to that particular issue, um, asking for forgiveness, and and then with God's grace and help, replacing that with uh, the righteous equivalent that they ought to be pursuing, which is evidenced, as you said, in the the fruit of that over time. And and that becomes a real real important part of biblical counseling because we're trying to help people to grow and change. Repentance is really the engine of biblical change, so we spent a lot of time focusing on that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I agree with that. And and I think what's so key there is um, just the brokenness and the brokenheartedness over over sin. I, th- I think that's that's exactly where it starts. It start that's what brings about our salvation, um, as I've already alluded to in Matthew five. But that's also so key in transformation once we're in Christ. Um, you've got to you've got to hate your sin. You've got to you've got to uh, be brokenhearted over what your sin has done to others, much more than you are brokenhearted over what the sin of others has done to you. And uh, when when that takes place, uh, you've seen this in the counseling room too. A couple comes to you, and when they acknowledge that they are the problem and that they are the one that sinned, and they are desperate for change and transformation, it's astounding um, how quickly the scriptures and the Spirit of God can work in their lives to bring about lasting change. And uh, may, this may be a little bit out of order, but but we've we've talked about it now, so let's just run with it. Fruits of repentance. One of the things that we counselors have to do, and and just 
you know, our role as pastors and, and as just Christians is identify what is true repentance? How, how do we know that someone has truly repented? So when you're in the counseling room and, and a person has professed repentance, you know, they say that they're repenting and they're, they're at least initially agreeing with that and they're saying the right things, how would you evaluate the genuineness of their repentance? Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know. We we talked about this before this before we started recording, but um, I don't know if this is uh, what you're thinking necessarily. But uh, one of the things I'm always doing when I'm working with repentance in my counselees, and I teach this with, I'll say probably ninety five percent of my counselees, um, I I always walk them through Second Corinthians seven. Um, for me, that's just such a really helpful passage to explaining this is what repentance looks like, but then it also becomes a template over which we can evaluate what's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, so, let's, let's do that. Why don't you open it, maybe give us a summary of how you okay. teach so that we can understand sure. what it looks like to, to teach somebody repentance and counseling, and then you can extract from that okay. some of those fruits. So this is like a 45-minute sermon, and, um, and in the counseling room it's about 30 minutes of interplay between me and the counselee. So um, how much time do I have? No, it's a joke. <laughs> so let me see if I can summarize it in a couple minutes. I want to give the setting as I'm teaching through this that um, this this book and this letter, this passage is coming out of a church situation in which there was an incestuous relationship that was openly acknowledged by the church that was not confronted. Paul confronted them about it. The church was unrepentant, and instead of repentance, um, they turned and attacked Paul and his apostleship in, instead. Um, and after a series of a number of letters, even beyond the ones that we have in Scripture, um, and a number of visits, uh, the church finally comes to repentance. And this, in this letter, in chapter 7, he is acknowledging, you have genuinely repented, and here's the sign of your repentance. And that's what he's explaining in chapter 7, verse 11. Uh, let me just read it, and then I'll walk through it very quickly. For behold, what earnestness, 2 Corinthians seven eleven, this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So he is contrasting in this passage a godly sorrow, a biblical sorrow, a biblical grief, a biblical repentance, we would say, that is contrasted with a worldly repentance. So in the world, people are repentant. They can be sorrowful, grieved for sins, but... Very often, it's um, look what I've lost, look what I've had to give up, look look what's been taken away from me, as opposed to uh, grief over the sin and the and the hurt that I've caused others. And so he says the first mark is, that, and I think this is the broad characteristic: they are earnest about this godly sorrow. So they have a a, a, um, a yearning, a passion. Uh, they are pursuing it with vigor, and that vigorous pursuit um, produces a number of characteristics, a vindication of yourselves, which I simply explain as uh, a genuine acknowledgement of this is what I am. This is without pretense. This is who I am. This is what has happened. This is what I did. And I think it goes way beyond just the actions, but it's an explanation of the motives that drive it. So a, a confession or a repentance that only addresses the action without the motives, I think, falls short. So whenever we're helping a counselee to work through genuine repentance, we want to help them address what are the things that we're, we're driving and compelling that sin. 
That's vindication of yourselves. What indignation? Uh, we might use the word anger there. Anger not at the other person, but anger over their sin. We might uh, term that a hatred of sin or um, a distaste of the sin uh, 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 and indignation against that sin. What fear? Uh, I simply would say that's a fear of God and what God might do if I don't repent. So what is if I'm a believer, what is the discipline that I might receive if I don't repent? Um, or does my lack of repentance indicate I'm not a believer and what will I face in eternity if I don't repent? Uh, what longing? That's a, a longing, a passion uh, to be restored, to make the relationship right, to repent, to change. A zeal, a, a passionate pursuit uh, of that repentance. And uh, what avenging of wrong. So uh, I realize when I sin against you um, that I, I incur a, a debt to you. It costs you something. Um, if I take your book, um, that might be a $20 cost, and I can repay that simply by giving you $20 for a new book. But often it goes way beyond that because if you're like me, uh, you've marked in that book, you've highlighted that book, you've made notes in the margin, I've taken that book and I've destroyed it or lost it. And so the cost has been way more than the $20. And in some way, I need to acknowledge that cost and do what I can to repay it. And often I say that that repayment is not, it's intangible. I can't write a check for it. So the repayment actually is in a commitment to live a new kind of way uh, with that person. And then for me, the joy in this passage is the very last thing he says. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. Now, if you think about the Corinthians, they were anything but innocent. So they'd overlooked um, this kind of incestuous sin that was just heinous, even culturally. And and yet and and then they'd gone to attack Paul, and yet Paul says you're innocent. Now he's not saying the original sin was innocent. Their attacks against him certainly weren't innocent, but from the point of repentance forward, they were innocent. And that is so hopeful for us because it means I, by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, I really can change. There's there's hope that I don't have to continue along in this pattern. And that was the very testimony of the Corinthians, which we would say is probably not one of the most stellar churches in the New Testament, and and yet that's their testimony. And isn't that hopeful for us? So I think the original question was, what does repentance look like? Um, I think you you come down to the end of it and say, um, is there a genuine um, explanation of the sin that goes to a heart level, a desire level, and is there is there something that demonstrates I'm repaying, I'm doing everything I can to remove the debt, acknowledging the cost of that sin to the others? And then does the life afterwards prove I really am innocent? Um, so that, that... And that really, that's good. That's really helpful. And that really contrasts with a lot of what we see that's counterfeit repentance. Hmm. Or when a person says that they want to change, they might say the right thing, say, I'm sorry. There's an initial, you know, what looks like an initial movement in the right direction. But then we see a lack of earnestness. Uh, We see a lack of godly sorrow. We see a lack of hatred of their own sin. Yes. Uh, And we don't see a track record of innocence afterward, you know, that, that, that fruit of change. We see a lot of the same old things, or even worse, and you and I have seen this a number of times, where, you know, there's a stated repentance, but then there's defensiveness, and then there's frustration that a spouse 
yep. doesn't trust them and that trust will need to be rebuilt and there's a reluctance to include others that are holding them accountable or all these things that are the opposite of what you just read in Second Corinthians. Yes. And those would be false fruits of repentance. So we're looking at genuine fruit, which I think we see description here. And then so many times we see the opposite of those things, that regardless of what the person is saying, they're not doing what John the Baptist said, that bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. Right. And at that point, you know, that's a, that's a sad moment where we have to come back and say, hey, you know, maybe this repentance is not genuine and, and minister to them accordingly. Yeah, and, you know, once I've walked through this passage, and I typically do this pretty early on in the counseling process, um, once I've walked through that passage, now I can keep coming back to it. So I'm, I'm drawn on the whiteboard. I'm writing everything down on the whiteboard. I've got a little chart on the whiteboard. The session ends and I'll take a picture. Often they'll ask me for a copy of the picture and I'll email it to them. Um, but then if, if I'm seeing a lack of repentance, now I can actually print that picture out four sessions later and say, Hey, let's go back. Let's revisit second Corinthians seven. And now let's think about what, what's going on in your life now, what you're doing now, and what the biblical standard is. What we talked about fruit of repentance would look like in your situation and what you're actually doing now. And they can see, oh, I'm not being repentant. And that's, that's so helpful. It is. I love Scripture, too, because there's not just one way to get to the issue. Yeah. And I think as biblical counselors, part of the creativity while employing counseling is saying, okay, who, who's my counselee? What's the situation? What's the best text to get there? What I like about Second Corinthians is it, it, it's, a, it's an outline. It's almost a preaching outline. Oh, it is a preaching outline. Yeah, and it's great. It's, it's didactic. It's directive. It's clear. It's measurable. Um, another way we can come at repentance is using one of the autobiographical texts. Mm. Now, Paul is talking about the Corinthians there, right. but he's doing so in an instructive way. Um, one of my favorite passages to go to is Psalm 51, mm. which, of course, is David's one of David's psalms of repentance uh, after he was confronted uh, by Nathan the prophet with Bathsheba. And um, again, maybe, maybe many of our listeners have, have, are familiar with this, but what I like about it is um, what does repentance look like? That's 2 Corinthians 7. What, is, what, what does repentance sound like? Hmm. And that's Psalm 51, that's Psalm 32. So yeah. be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my, from my sin. So he says three different ways in typical Hebrew poetic fashion. Cleanse me, forgive me, help me. Uh, employing the, the three different words for sin there. Um, he says in verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. We were talking earlier about is there a difference between confession yep. and repentance? And your answer is... Um, y- yes and no. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Go ahead. Why don't you so, flush it so out? Is there a difference between confession and repentance? Theoretically, yes, because confession means, uh, you know, to literally means to say the same thing or to agree with God about my sin. We might say, mm-hmm. um, and so you can technically say agreeing with God about your sin is distinct from repentance and that repentance goes further than that and is more than that as Second Corinthians illustrated. But in the Bible, there's no true confession without yeah. repentance. Right. So the one always leads to the other and that's what we see here yeah. in, um, in Psalm 51. So he says, I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. And then he says this, 
Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. And we read that and we go, what about Uriah? What about Bathsheba? What about the people of Israel? What do you mean against you and you only I have sinned? And of course, he's not saying he didn't sin against those other people. What he's saying is my primary offense is against my God. And so I think repentance and the sorrow that you talked about is a sorrow of not being caught, right? Not right. consequences, not I've got, I've got this life issue now I have to deal with as a result of my sin. But the sorrow is really provoked by um, a a reality that I've sinned against my God, and that's that's my chief focus when I think about repentance. Yeah. Um, and and that that verse really is a description of of the confession part. You know, I'm agreeing with God, right? You're justified when you speak. You're blameless when you judge. So when God when God's word stands in judgment of what I've done, I'm heartily agreeing with it. Exactly. I'm not arguing. I'm not defending. Yeah. He talks about you know sin going back to you know the time of conception. Really, that that we're we're born in sin. And verse six, you desire truth in the innermost being and. And that's a, that's a good reminder that um, when we're thinking about repentance, you mentioned this a moment ago, we're not just thinking about words and actions. That what God wants is truth transforming the heart. Mm-hmm. And so confession and repentance have to go uh, that deep. He talks about purification. Journey with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Um, that there's this crying out for God to cleanse us of the, the filth and the guilt of sin. And again, this is, this, is, this is listening to repentance. It's what does it sound like? So in counseling, as we're hearing a person's story or as we maybe have led them to repentance and, and now we're kind of watching to see what happens, this is what we're listening for. And not that it has to be perfect um, or, or sound just like this, but this is, this is the strain and the tone and, and the words that we're, we're hearing about. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I noticed you brought, uh, and there's more we could say about 51 in Psalm 32, but uh, we need to wrap up here. I noticed you brought books with you, and of course, well, of course. I always get excited <laughs> when you walk into books. So when we're thinking about facilitating repentance and counseling, we've looked at a couple of texts to do that. We've talked about what it is. Um, what are some good resources that we can use in counseling, either yeah. for ourselves as we as we counsel, or maybe to give counselees as we try to facilitate repentance? Yeah, well, I, I've brought something old and something new, um, and, and, not, and two that are blue. And yes, but nothing borrowed. So um, uh, something old, actually. So none of my books are in. <laughs> yeah, okay. they're all mine that I know of. Yeah, so some, uh, something old, a couple things actually. Um, Doctrine of Repentance by Thomas Watson. Watson is my favorite Puritan. Uh, he writes with such clarity and, and precision. Um, the Puritans are so helpful at looking at things uh, from numerous angles, and I think Watson is among the clearest of those. Um, and mine is uh, well-marked. It's got post-its all the way through it and writing in the margin, so a really helpful book. And then another one by Thomas Boston, Boston. Uh, repentance, turning from God to sin, uh, what it means and why it's necessary. And honestly, I have I have dipped into this, but I have not read it. I think you have read this, is that right? So maybe, maybe you good. can yeah. say something about that. Yeah, no, it's very good. It's it's going to be similar to uh, Watson in terms of you know the the genre and the, the time period that it comes from. Um, his is a little bit lengthier, 
yeah. a little more instructive, I think, but yeah, yeah. but very good. Um, something very short. Um, Sinclair Ferguson has a little booklet, um, "The Grace of Repentance." I assume this is still in publication. Uh, my copy, know, my yeah. copy is a little bit older. Um, but um, I've just found this to be really helpful. Uh, Ferguson's a really clear, helpful writer, um, so uh, commend that to you. Our friend Stuart Scott, uh, communication and conflict resolution. It's not directly to repentance, but he does deal with it uh, in part as he talks about conflict resolution. And his killing sin habits would thank you. That also, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Sin, yeah, both of those are very good. Yeah, um, and then uh, Ken Sandy, who's written a number of things about conflict, conflict resolution. Um, in the Peacemaker, uh, that's the the main book that he's written. Everything else is derived from that. Uh, really helpful book where he talks about um, the marks of of confession, the seven A's of confession. Um, what I find helpful is it's more memorable um, as he talks about that. Um, so he would say um, the seven A's of, of confession: address everyone involved, avoid if, but, and maybe. Admit specifically uh, what your sin is. Acknowledge the hurt, um, the cost that we were talking about earlier. Accept the consequences. Alter your behavior. That's the turning around. That that's the change. And then ask for forgiveness and allow time. Um, Which is really a better description of repentance than confession. There's seven days of confession, but but he's going broader than yep. You would know, just confession proper. Uh, I'd agree with that. And that's why it's so helpful. I think you've got a real yeah. easy outline to follow with your counselees uh, that is memorable, that's easy to memorize, and um, can be a good roadmap for guys trying to walk in repentance. Yeah, yeah. So um, we use that a lot. There's, he has Peacemaking for Families, which is more specifically oriented towards restoring relationships uh, with each other. So I've, th- those are a few things I've found helpful. Anything you've found um that you particularly like? Beyond the armful of books you just <laughs> uh, No, those are a lot of the same resources. Uh, there's an old pamphlet that uh, that is not in print anymore um, that Ken Sandy did. Yeah. He some counseling a lot called Biblical Peacemaking. But, um, yeah, I, I like to go through the text like you do, and then um, probably the Peacemaker material and Stuart Scott's material are the two yep. that I use the most. Yeah. Um, well, this has been really uh, helpful and pleasant conversation as usual, so hopefully those of you listening... Uh, can better understand repentance and, and what it means and the importance of that in change and uh, some ideas of some resources and some text. So Terry, as always, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for the invitation. It's always great fun. Thank you for listening to Counsel the Word. For more information about the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, you can visit us at thecbcd.org.